Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. In the last service, we had the privilege of seeing two um, follow Christ in baptism. They were from another country, and we praise God for how He is moving and continuing to move in our lives and in our midst. We are wrapping up our series today that, that goes well with that, which says, if we keep our eyes on Christ and we learn to walk in Him, we learn to dwell in Him, this will change the way that we not only view the world, but it will change us from the inside out. And so we talked through Ephesians 1, a, a passage that is somewhat controversial, but shouldn't be because it's about unifying the church. And here's the idea there. In case you haven't been here, I'm going to catch you up. The first week we talked about praise be to God, God has a plan. That the point of all of our life, his story is really history. History is really his story, however you want to look at it. And as he unfolds that, that God has a plan. And that plan, as we talked about two weeks ago, is redemption. The redemption of our souls. That, that God, we were separated from him because we have this thing called sin. We have mistakes. We know that we have fallen short. And a holy God can't be in our presence. But along those lines, God had a plan. The Father sent His Son Jesus to die for us. And as we're approaching, yes, we're approaching the Christmas season. I know some of you want to hold out, but it's coming like a freight train. As we're approaching the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God is with us. He is still with us because ain't nobody found nobody in that tomb. He is alive and we can live and dwell and walk with Him. And because he is alive and dwells with us, we talked about last week that you and I have a purpose. And in him, we aren't just biding our time waiting till the next life. That as salvation has come both in eternity and now, we have a purpose. And we, we challenged you last week to really find your purpose, to ask God, what is my purpose? The general purpose that we all have is to help others love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. But there's a specific way that God made you as a son or as a daughter of the king to live for him. Now, all of that is great, but as you're going to see today, we're going to come to another controversial passage, but spoiler, here's the point of the passage. In him, we know we are saved by, that's what we're going to look at, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. In him, you, were, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Here, verse 13 again. In Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Now, verse 13 is often argued over, and it shouldn't be. And we're going to do a deeper, wife, a deeper dive into this this morning. And I, and I just want to go ahead and tell you right now that I don't think this should be controversial because this passage isn't talking about what people actually argue over. And what people argue over is this doctrine called once saved, always saved. And so here's the way this works. I'm going to give you a little illustration that I use often around here. If you come around here, you will recognize this illustration. If you don't, learn it because it will come back up. It's going to describe the way our salvation works. And in doing that, I'm going to explain this doctrine that sometimes our people argue over and why it's not necessarily that important based on this passage today. You with me? So our salvation works like this. Imagine yourself on a boat. Yes, engineers, we're not talking the Titanic because if the Titanic sinks, you're going down with it, right? Because of the size of the boat, I get it. I've heard that illustration. Okay, 
But you're on a boat, and this boat represents our life. And the boat is going down. Now, when you receive Christ, when you are learned to dwell within him, when you recognize that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in the ground, and was raised from the life into new hope. Because he is alive, we can live in him. Our salvation can begin here and now. And so when we know that that boat is going under, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to live my life in him. I'm going to surrender to him. It's like we put on the life jacket. And in that moment, our salvation is secure, right? But there's another level to our salvation. It's not only when you have the life jacket on, but there's another level of our salvation. As the Bible talks about, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In Philippians, what it realizes is that one day the boat's going under and representing our death, and that life jacket at that point is going to have a whole new meaning for us, right? So here's the point. In him, we can have the, the presence of Christ, not only in us, but surrounding us, so that when we stand before the Father, he can say, this child belongs to me. They are with me. And that should affect the way that we live our life because we know that this boat's going under. We know that so we can have the joy. We can, we can overcome the circumstances in our life. But we also know that there is another level of salvation that comes in the next life. And so we don't just exist for waiting for the next life. We exist for this life as well to allow his salvation to come here and now. Now, here's the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Can you take off the life preserver? Here's the point. If you really surrender to Christ and you understand what's coming, I would argue you won't, even if you could. And that is an important conversation for another time. But let me explain to you why people sometimes argue over that in this. It says, in him you were sealed. The word seal there is not just an animal. I'm just kidding. That's not in there. (laughs) To seal can mean to make safe. You're made safe, you know, and that makes sense. I I put on the life jacket, but here's the way this works a lot of times when people have this doctrine of once saved, always saved, and there's a caution I want to share with you. Johnny comes forward and prays a prayer when he's six years old, right? And Johnny has never shown any indication in his life that he is following God at all, but he prayed a prayer at six, and one day Johnny uh, doesn't live on this earth anymore, and his grandmother wants to know that he is in heaven, Right? Johnny just went through the act of a prayer, but the actions didn't indicate he actually surrendered to God. A prayer that we pray for salvation is a symbolic gesture, a response to God measuring our heart. It doesn't mean you are actually saved. Here's the caution as Jesus describes it even to the religious leaders in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your lawbreakers. Now, I always pray when I'm preparing a sermon like this against the spirit of confusion, all right? But as you're unpacking this, there is a little holy fear that should come upon you when you realize that these are people who are casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is sitting here saying, but they're not actually followers of me. They aren't actually Christians. They aren't going to be in eternity. (laughs) 
and you're sitting there going, what is going on? And what is going on is the indication of you can go through the motions. You can even do the actions. You can even talk to people about Jesus, but it doesn't mean your life is surrendered to him. Translation, you can show up to church. Congratulations. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. You can put money in the offering plate. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. You can even invite people to church or tell people at your work at risk of persecution that you believe in Jesus, but it does not make you a Christian. So what do we do with that? Well, we have to find that our hope is in Christ. And how do we know that? Because we can attest, we can find a way to know that we are followers of Jesus. He backs up those verses with Matthew 7, 18 through 20. It says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, there is a sense that fruit is the outward expression of what's going on in the root system, right? So we know that we are supposed to change. Translation, I have surrendered to Jesus. I know my life is supposed to change. I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to put money in the offering plate. I know I'm supposed to serve, so I'm going to work in the nursery. I know I'm supposed to do all those things. And so I give God a little of me, and I begin to change. But I don't change in my heart. If that's the case, then the fruit it's actually talking about is rotten and will one day be cast out. But here's the good news. The fruit that he's talking about there isn't actually measured by the actions because in Ephesians 2, later on, Paul says, it is by grace we are saved, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. The fruit he's actually talking about there is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts, in our lives. And if you aren't growing in your faith, I would like to argue one of two things. If you don't know if you're a believer of Jesus, if you, if you aren't really learning how to lean into the Holy Spirit and know how to follow the Holy Spirit, then let me just tell you one of two things has happened. Either, A, you're still a baby Christian because no one taught you how to grow up, which is possible, when people accept Christ, and you could be a 90-year-old baby Christian, right? When you, when you accept Christ, you actually have to mature. But nobody expects a 7-year-old to still be fed their food by mouth by their mother, right? Moms, if you're doing that, stop it, okay? Right? There comes a time when your kids need to learn how to do their own laundry. Amen. There comes a time when you're preparing them, you're helping them to grow up. And as followers of Jesus, we're helping you grow up. And a big part of how you grow up is how you nurture the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? So the first reason that you may have never felt the Holy Spirit is because you have never been taught how to grow up in the Holy Spirit. The second reason is you never really gave your life to Christ to begin with. You like the idea of salvation. Maybe you felt pressured by an aunt or a grandfather or a parent. Or maybe you're just here because your spouse wants to, but you, you've not really bought into this idea that Jesus is who he says he is. And, and I would say you're missing out on so much more. Because this isn't just an action that we go through hoping to find truth. But when the Holy Spirit begins to move and operate in your life, when, when God himself begins to dwell within you, in him, we become changed 
And that's what allows the Spirit of God to come with us. What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there is no bad, right? And so when you're looking in this life, that's how when the cancer happens and you have a peace, you can understand God is in control. When the, when the struggles of this world and the work isn't going like you want to, you can still have joy even though you're sad. God can move in your hearts and your minds, and so you operate different than the way the, worst, the rest of the world operates. You operate according to the way the Spirit of God who dwells within you as you chase after Jesus. Because you are in Him, you put on the life preserver of hope. You put on the life jacket of salvation. Salvation is not just for the next life, but it's for the here and now because you live a life that is secure. Y'all don't seem very excited about that. You should probably be excited about that. Because you see, the evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives reveals that we're being sealed. So to seal can mean to make safe, but to seal can also mean to prove, attest, or confirm. And in my strong, strong, strong theological opinion, that's what that means here. Did you hear that? My strong, strong theological opinion. That's what that means here. So let's read it again. In him you were sealed, proved, attested, or confirmed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. See, it is the evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives that reveals we are being sealed in Christ. And therefore, our hope is not found in works, but our faith is found in Christ. Now, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, you may not have known a big theme, sub-theme through this series has been talking about the seasons of our life and the fact that there will be seasons of winter. And once again, if you, you've stayed in a perpetual winter, it's probably a sign that something is not right. But we all will have seasons of winter. And we will all, if we follow Christ, will have seasons of spring, which is where we begin to see God doing something. We'll have seasons of summer where we begin to see the Holy Spirit do stuff in our life. We can attest that God is moving. We can sit there and go, look, I see the evidence growing up in my life. And we will have seasons of harvest, celebration, moments of joy. And, and, sheer, and the mark of a healthy church is... When a person is going through a season of harvest, they can mourn with the person in the season of winter, and the people in the season of winter can celebrate with the people in the season of harvest. That's the mark of a healthy church, one of the marks of a healthy church, okay? Now, here's what I want to encourage you. When we are in a season of winter, it can feel like your prayers aren't going past the ceiling. When you're in a season of winter, it can feel like there is no hope. When you're in a season of winter, and y'all do realize I'm not talking just about the calendar year winter here, right? When the permafrost of your heart begins to set in, your emotions, you can start doubting. You can start going, God, are you there? We've all been there. We will all be there, even me. What's one of the old sayings? We like to put the fun in dysfunction. We are all dysfunctional. Every one of us. But in the season of the winter, one of the things the Spirit can do can testify that God is real even if you don't feel like He is because your emotions can be misleading. So how do we know that? Well, I'm going to get there. But before I get there, I've got to go a little to the Old Testament 
and explain the way this all works. So can you fasten your seatbelts because we're about to go historical and it's going to get good. All right? This is the way that the verification of what it looks like to follow Christ has taken place since the beginning to now. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Things were good. They didn't even need clothes. They were unashamed. There was no sin, so there was no lust. There was no, no problems. They just existed. But then sin entered the world. And so then there was the symbolic gesture of them clothing them in the sacrificed animals of an innocent animal, which symbolized Jesus and what he would do and die for us as the innocent lamb of God. Fast forward. God keeps being with his people. And there's a man by the name of Abraham. And maybe you've heard the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I, well, I'm one of them. And I'd like to think so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Okay, stop there. Um, But the idea here is Father Abraham had many sons, except he really didn't. In fact, Abraham was really old. Now, why we say Father Abraham had many sons is because one day in Genesis 17, the story is told, the father came and approached Abraham, and he said, Abraham, look out to the stars. And as you look to the stars, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham, who was an old man past childbearing age, whose wife was past childbearing age, The Bible says, Abraham said, I believe in you, God. And it was credit to him as righteousness. Let that sink in. For some of us, if God came into us and said, you will, we'd go, no, that's not the way the world works. But Abraham said, God, I believe. And so what happened is, God challenged him and gave him an Abrahamic covenant. The idea that your people, the people of Israel, until the coming of Jesus will be God's chosen people. Now, he sealed that with circumcision. Circumcision? I didn't think we'd go there today. But the circumcision, which does not necessarily save you, but it was symbolic. It was the outward act of obedience was, that was also to serve as an inward measure of the heart. Abraham, do you believe? Then you will be circumcised and all your descendants will be circumcised. Fun, huh? On the eighth day. And other people were circumcised, but it was, it was symbolic. Why was it symbolic? Well, you may have never heard this before, but let me just throw this out at you. The blood covenant reminded them of the Abrahamic covenant and foreshadowed the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Ew. Right? Pain sometimes will come as you surrender to Christ. But it foreshadows what Jesus would do for us. And if it foreshadows us, then then that's why he wanted them to be circumcised. But here's the problem. Even though they knew that and they were circumcised and they were were marked as a reminder, this is a reminder of what we're supposed to be, there came a time where a man by the name of Joseph was sold into slavery. And God did this to to save his people. And so Joseph ends up in Egypt and becomes a very, very powerful person in Egypt. In fact, the second most powerful man in the land. And God does this and saves the people of Israel in a great time of famine and drought. And so his 
His people move to Joseph and they live in Egypt and all is well until the time comes when the Pharaoh does not know Joseph and the people of Egypt find themselves in captivity. Translation, the people, God's people, find them in a great season of winter. What happens in winter? Oh, God, where are you? And so they, they, they fall off the bandwagon of their, their religious implications. They, they don't show us faithful up to church. This is a, a parallel illustration of the way the world works today. We, they blame God for things, so they, they don't do the right things. And, and God had every right to go, well, then you don't love me, right? But he didn't. So God sent Moses. If you're over 45, you might think of Moses as Charlton Heston, Okay. And he comes and he says, let my people go. And they gathers the descendants and they begin to wander back to the promised land. The springtime's coming. It's not good yet because the wandering through the wilderness is not always fun. The spring, the hard work happens, right? We're planting the seed in the ground. We're going, we're going. And they're complaining all the while. And, and he, he says, Moses, the people's hearts aren't right. So in Deuteronomy... Chapters 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart with the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and soul so that you will live. And he says, they need to be circumcised again because they've never been circumcised. Because the circumcision reminds them of the seal of the promise. So, fast forward to New Testament. Circumcision is still done today, but it's not the mark or the seal of you being a person of Israel. And the new Israel, the descendants of Christ, is, if it's just nationality, then I'm, I've already lost. I'm Scandinavian, y'all. That's why I'm so pale, okay? And the idea here is the new circumcision, Jesus came. And in the centrality of all the world has ever known, the circumcision served as the foreshadowing of the blood sacrifice of what Jesus would do. All of history goes down to the centrality of that moment. And after that moment, there is a future seal that reminds us, a future outward expression that reminds us of what it looks like to follow Christ now. So the New Testament version of circumcision is baptism. Just like circumcision, baptism doesn't save us. But baptism symbolizes dying to self. As we are buried in the ground, it's, we are buried in the water. It's like we are dying to our old self, and then we are being raised to a new life, right? I'm not, not the man I used to be. I'm not the, the woman I used to be. I, I am now surrendered completely to Christ. And then the third part is being immersed in Christ's resurrection, we find in Romans 6, 3-4, Or are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, we, we're, we're in Him as we're chasing after Him, as we're doing what it looks like to follow Christ. That's the point of the series, in Him. As we are baptized into Christ, we were baptized into His death. We are buried with Him in death. We are dying to our old way of life. Therefore, we are buried with Him in the baptism of the death, immersed in His death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, just as he was raised, we come up out of that water, so too we may walk in the newness of life. We are immersed by the presence of him. So why do we immerse? We immerse is symbolic of just like you're putting on the life preserver. 
We're putting on the presence of Christ in us. We are in Him. We are dying to our old self, covered in the immersion of Him, and raised to new life. That's why we practice baptism as a membership here. But let me just remind you, baptism does not save you. It is the covenant outward symbol. So what's the inward symbol? The inward marker or seal of our salvation is a new life guided by the Holy Spirit. The inward marker of our salvation is a new life guided by the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, we are safe, sealed, if we are truly surrendered to Him. But let's look at Ephesians 1, 13-14 and talk about what this looks like. In Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You, you were marked, you were proven with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation. This is how you know as you grow up in your faith, you shouldn't stay in a perpetual winter. There should become a time when the Holy Spirit shines a light and begins to grow the harvest of what God is doing in your life. And the Holy Spirit, I love this, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praises of His glory. The Holy Spirit serves as the down payment. Why? Because this life is hard. What do, I, what do you do when you put a down payment? You get a percentage of the completed task, right? So what is the Holy Spirit? He's giving us a, a, a percentage. Although he's fully invested in us, we're getting a percentage of what our future glory looks like when there will be no more chaos. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more dysfunction. There will be only joy. There will be only praise. There will only be celebration. There will only be all the fruits of the Spirit in eternity. Doesn't that sound good? So the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It is the down payment, the glimpse. And so if you haven't received the down payment, the question then beckons, have you not grown up because you're still a child or have you never really surrendered to Christ? Because you have to surrender and die in order to come to new. So let me summarize it like this. When we surrender to Christ, we are found in Him. And at that point, the Holy Spirit becomes the inward verification, the seal of, his, of our faith. And the seal also serves as a down payment, a promise of what is to come. Some of you are like, Daniel, that sounds awesome. And how do I, I've never really grown up in the Holy Spirit. How do I know what that looks like? Would you, would you train me? I, will, I have like four minutes left, so I can't do that today. But guess what? The next series is on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come back. See what we did there? It's like you've seen Back to the Future 2 where they already tell you Back to the Future 3 is coming, right? You're like, oh, just get to the movie. Okay, for you young kids, it's like a, every Marvel movie that ever existed. <laughs> There's more to the story. Come back next week. Because God wants you to be verified. I don't know where you stand today, but here's kind of the point. We want you to surrender to Christ. And here's the thing. This passage is not supposed to be controversial. It's supposed to be a unifier because as the church, we're unified. And as we're unified in Christ, the result is a life of praise. The Holy Spirit, verse 14, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. 
You see, we receive the Holy Spirit not to prove anything to ourselves. We receive the Holy Spirit not for our own benefit, although we receive the benefits of it. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit to give Him praise and glory. A life surrendered will result in the praise of our Father, even in every circumstance. So bless the Lord, O my soul. When the sun goes down, may I be praising his name. When the rising of the sun, may I be praising his name. In every situation, may I be praising his name because he is good and he is faithful and he is just. And this world is not our home. This world is temporary. God is victorious. And if you know him, you get the victory because the power of the Holy Spirit can dwell within you. So where does it start? Daily training. Surrender everything to him. That's how you're sealed. Surrender. So l- let me just give you this illustration because I think the idea of sealing in the Old Testament would have happened in only one way. There would have been this wax and the king takes his ring and he imprints his signet in that wax, right? And when he did it, that was the seal. And people knew not to break it, but even if they did break it, it was the marker that this belonged to the king. That's what God wants to do to your life. But here's the key. In order to be sealed, you must first, what do you have to do to the, mat, the wax? Melt it. You've got to soften your heart. Men and women, but men, the most manly thing you can do is soften your heart to Jesus. And all the ladies said, all the ladies said it louder. Oh, give me a world full of fathers who are a heart soft for thee, Father. And the world will change. Give me a world full of godly women on their knees praying, surrendered for the glory of God. God, bring up preachers, teachers, missionaries. May we respond in worship to the glory of Him. May we surrender to Him. May we recognize that, yeah, I'm going to have a season of winter, but God is good. If you'd like to talk with one of us at the end of service, we're here. We'd love to pray with you. If you're in a season of winter, put the seed in the ground because spring's coming. I believe it. But you got to work the soil of your heart. If you're in a season of harvest, celebrate, but prepare and store some for winter. But let us live as a church to the glory of God. I hope you'll come back and join us as we study the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, may we respond to God as a unified body, giving Him praise. Father, move in our midst today. For you are good and gracious and kind. We love you. For what you've done for us, for what you're doing. For the fact that you care for us in every situation. That there are people who are grieving and hurting even now. But you are exalted. So Spirit, in this room, we give you free reign. As we look to Jesus as our example, as our hope, our source, 
God, move. You are holy and just and kind. You are patient and kind and loving. You are Emmanuel. God is with us. You are the rescuer, the healer, the source of hope, the source of strength. You are our judge, our friend, our counselor, abiding here and now. May your presence be felt. May your presence fall as we live and dwell with you. May we respond for you are good because your name is Jesus. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and lift up. Amen.